Hello there. Welcome back to the Sound of Vision podcast. Today, we are joined by James. And only James. <laughs> Say hello, James. <laughs> um, yes, we are recording this at the end of summer. Um, it's a busy time. People are moving off to university. You know, things happen. Uh, but we are here. Um, we are talking about one of the richest and most cryptic films to come out to the mainstream in the last five years. It might even be the most. Um, Definitely it's, one it's of the most genuinely experimental Netflix films, originals I've seen, or just streaming originals I've seen. Oh, absolutely. If you haven't guessed already, you probably have because you've seen the title. We're talking about Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Which is what you'll be saying a lot after hearing our takes. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I am sure I've got it perfectly. That's a bold, bold statement. but This is so hard because I almost just want this to... This film is such almost like poetry. Um, it's hard to give a plot synopsis. And I feel like the usual... It sounds so pretentious, but I feel the usual way we won't talk talk about it isn't going to work. I think we're just going to have to, and we should give a plot synopsis. But I think you and I, we're just going to have to. Battle we're not going to have the death. We're just going to have to dive into what our interpretations are, and work from that. I think that's the way to go. I don't, at least for me, and uh, maybe this is more saying about me. I don't think the usual like, what did you think kind of thing mm. is going to work. Do you get what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I think this is more going to be about my interpretation. What, this so, whole episode? No, but I mean, like, I'm not sure I'm going to get many statements. I feel usually I get statements about, all oh, this portrays the character, or all oh, this, or like, all, oh, and I, you know, I'm more be like, all oh, the cinematography or stuff like that. I, I'll definitely probably get into the ideology of it, but for me, I think I might not get into many statements of that, or more get in my interpretation. So at the very least, I'll say, I really love it. It's not one of my all-time greats but it's got some very personal elements to me. I'll admit right now I've been having a hard time kind of watching films just because of bad sleep and concentration. So maybe I wasn't loving as much as I did the first or second time, but this third viewing, uh, I still really loved it. You know, I only looked at my phone once or twice. Uh, it really spoke to me in a disturbing way. Like it's, I think Charlie Kaufman is one of those people, like sometimes he's really one of those people where like, even if you don't actually agree with the philosophy, he writes it so well that you do believe it for a bit. Like, to me, like, it's one of these films, I'm not just hearing a character's ideology, I'm getting so fooled in the filmmaking and writing of it, I'm actually believing it. And I'm not a nihilistic person, but I think this film has a somewhat nihilistic ideology. And I think that's telling it almost here and there allowed me to adopt such miserable ideas and actually believe them for even just for a little bit. So I love it. Nine out of ten. Um, would you want to give Whoa, a general synopsis? I firstly, I mean, yes, I would, but but I'd like to address you giving it a nine out of ten. I've never ever heard you give a number to a film, so I, I'm really happy that you've given this a nine out of ten. I I would personally give it a ten out of ten. I think it's an incredible film, um, and it's one of those ones. Yes, I, I might be biased because 
it's the twisty turny not really know what goes on initially films that float my boat um and this is one of the best to come out recently it's it's construction it's as you said it's ideologies it's tone everything about it is something else it's you can compare it to other films but you'll never you'll never be able to find another one that really does what this one does it's built so much on homage it becomes its own thing it's do you get what I mean? I feel like a lot of films trying to be modern nowadays would be sort of more like a Kingsman. Oh, we're James Bond, but we're pointing out we're not James Bond. Yeah. This really lives in its own route, and it's not completely original. I mean, maybe, maybe eventually there'll be something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but I even in terms of that, like, I don't. I think we're at a point where no. Uh, I mean, I don't even think maybe there ever was a point where art was ever completely original. If we really dissect what that term means but you know it's not completely original in a sense you know it's not exactly like these ideas have never been explored before but it's the way that Charlie Kaufman combines themes and that he and the performances add to them and the non-linear storytelling and the misessence and cinematography he fuses in a way that gives it a unique feeling and communicates similar themes and messages in a unique way to me um and yeah, it's just, and I remember I watched this with my sister and uh, I mean, first of all, one of my favorite things is like, I'm trying to think, I mean, what's funny is- It's to articulate, isn't it? Because I know. It's so abstract. We need, we need to give a plot synopsis, Jesus, we didn't even give a, <laughs> see, this is, Let's... but that's the film, what is the plot? <laughs> but Jay, do you want to give it? The best I can do is, and here's the thing, I think my interpretation of the film is, is that the film itself lies to the audience in its construction. So the, the synopsis that I give, I don't necessarily think is correct. But it, what it presents as is a film about a woman being taken to the house of her new boyfriend to meet their parents. Um, and it's about the interactions that they have, uh, the, the boyfriend and girlfriend, and about the interactions that the parents have with the, their child and his girlfriend. There's so much more to it than that. There's so many weird time shifts, like confusing dialogue, hints of something else. Uh, other people we're seeing, not sure if they're real manifestations, another version of them. We're not sure if there's like, and the film never explains, not sure if there's something like metaphysical actually altering reality, or if it's all like poetry symbolic, if it's all in one person kind of, you know, we don't know if it's from someone reminiscing in a wrong way, yeah. um, you know, stuff like that. And I guess that's what makes the film hard. So first one I'm going to say is just watch the fucking film. Don't oh, listen. God. If you haven't don't listen film, to us. Watch it film, first. It's all about interpreting. I was about to say interpreting. The whole film is about picking out something for yourself. It's oh, not about oh, never seeing... give answers. No, of course not. Um, and all of these films are about making something from the pieces. I feel with with this film, it's. It might be easier to do than others, but I feel like there are more ways to put 
these pieces together than there are in other films like this. Yeah. Um, after giving that plot synopsis, I wondered whether you would like to give your own plot synopsis about what you think happened. I think that... Okay, so I'm going to first say this. What I love, I'm going to first go into something that I love about Kaufman. He fuses these deep philosophical, meta, uh, me, uh, metaphysical like concepts combined with such personal stories. And like, I love philosophy. I love Arnold's philosophy. But the problem with it is, is sometimes it can just become like, and there's this, and there's this, and there's, you know, it can become characters talking to you, which I can see the appeal, but I don't personally like. I want, I want a philosophical narrative to also be a narrative for the most part. Like the worst example for me would be Alan Moore's Prometheus, which starts out as sort of a philosophical comic book story, but then it just becomes sort of page after page after page of characters explain their philosophy in a way that doesn't feel unique, doesn't feel like people speaking, it feels like Alan Moore writing it. And what I think is he intertwines this stuff with such personal stuff because there's a lot of hinting of something's very off with this relationship. It seems to be for seven weeks, then they seem old, they seem young. It seems to imply that they're married. Uh, it seems to, you know, you see this old, every once you go to this old man who's the janitor, and there's a few hints that that's also um, Jesse Phillips, the boyfriend's character. Um, there's tons of things Jesse of like. Phillips. Is it Jesse Phillips? I think it's Clemens. Clemens, you're right, Jesse. The guy, yeah, I don't know just, what I Just not to confuse people. Yeah, Jesse Plemons, uh, Todd's from Breaking Bad. Um, but like, and then of course, I think there's so many things about, like in one scene, the girlfriend's referred to as Lucy, like the woman that the poet wrote about. Then when she's mentioned to be a what's it? Someone beginning with a G, which is the profession around old people. She then has a name beginning with G. Then it's something else when she's a physicist. And, her, and then there's one scene where she's now, for a brief second, like a shot for a few seconds, she's a completely different actor. Yeah. Played by a completely different and played by Ginny from Further Walking Dead, if we're gonna make references to other shows. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Let's Showing my really that. art house television taste there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Real deep. But like oh, yeah. and what I, so what I love about this is there's this real interest in like what does it all mean? But behind it, I think what we get is there's an implication there's something wrong. And there are even specific scenes where towards the end of the film when there's this whole weird thing where I mean, I think a big part of this, the conversations feel so real. Like me and my sister literally were watching this. We were like, we were really talking and like, she was saying like, God, this, I just know so many conversations like this where neither of you, will sh neither of us will shut up. And it's just like, why when you stop and why are we pressing on? Because it's built on such, so much of it is this dialogue where sort of, they always are like, they're quite intellectual people. So of course they're always sort of disagreeing and they're kind of, it's just these very awkward conversations where like nothing can just be that. Someone has to rebuttal and respond. It's, a very human sort of thing, you know what I mean? So it's grounded Iraq for, for this episode. Just yeah. So. Um, what? The two of us sat here. Oh, right. We're probably right. going to be recording for a while. Yeah, fucking hell. We're gonna be, this is going to be our three hour Lawrence of Arabia esque yeah. <laughs> extravaganza. But um, basically, I think the good thing is, like, it's not all what is he saying there are some very clear themes and i think the clear themes are the most human ones you know the ones of just the shit that women have to deal with you know like there's literally that scene where basically towards the end from when they end up in the high school because the boyfriend just 
for whatever reason is doing the whole never listening to her and just doing this and then this and then this and then she's stuck then she talks to Jan she's like you know god forbid I can just be left alone like occupational hazard sometimes you just give them the number so they'll just leave you alone so like there's very human kind of there's grounded and real feminist issues so like because to me I think a big thing is like sometimes philosophy can kind of like oh what's the point if it's so disgrounded but he takes these big metaphysical ideas and he grounds them in these human things like just what women have to deal with these feelings of I don't know who I am these feelings of like does this person control who I am and I'm going to get on to my first interpretation if you don't mind then we can go to because I have kind of multiple different well this is the main one but I have tons of different ideas it's a film about a groomer about someone who's groomed a young one. I think Jesse Phillips' character is older than Clemens. we see him as. Clemens. You're getting Clemens. Clemens. Oh, Jesse Clemens' character is older than he says he is, than yeah. he, when we see him as. And the female character, I'm sorry, I don't I don't know her name, and she's an amazing She doesn't actor. she doesn't have a name. Oh no, no the no. actress the actress does. The actress is Jesse Buckley. Yeah, I know. Um, I remember I went to a live event um, online with uh, Charlie Coffin. I think he said he just really Go liked him. I think, I think also he noted that um, he also noted that he partly kept her just because she, she partly worked with her just because she was a nice person, which is an he only works with nice people. That's a tangent. But there's this there's so many stuff. I think one of the things is you keep on editing to like this janitor yeah. and obviously it's sort of implied that it's jesse plemos's character and stuff and there's even certain scenes where he talks about like he's, he mentions oklahoma you know the musical yeah. and then later he sort of mentions like oh i see it here and there kids slightly older and then of course we see oklahoma in we see oklahoma in um the he's school performing it yeah, and it's like, how does that happen? There's tons of scenes where it's like, you know, I know people who are alone and stuff like that, you know, I know. And, and then obviously, as you see that, you're seeing a shot with like, as the janitor's walking by, you see like it focusing on one woman who looks quite similar to her. And then of course, there's a scene where they go to the, uh, for no reason in a store, he decides to go to a place where they sell, um, what do you call it? Ice cream. Tulsi um, yeah. Yeah, and of course, there's that thing where he doesn't want to look at any of the women and there's one girl that looks quite like her and then you know and then the main female character who we don't know who in the script in the script i believe is described as young lady so yeah. i'll call her young young lady talks to another girl there who looks quite like her, and she's like oh can you oh, sorry about the smell it's not nail varnish and she's like what smell and then later i was talking to my mate the day it came out and we're saying what else smells like varnish and then he went holy shit i think it's like rehypno or something smells like nail, but not re- you know like chloroform smells like nail oh really yeah which implies something. And then, of course, her hands seem quite burnt or rashed or something. Yeah. And then she says something like, oh, I'm not a law, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. She goes, of course, she's not a psychiatrist. She's 15. And then there's a, sorry, I'm going, Jesse Plummer's character in one scene talks about how youth is admirable. It's attractive. You know what I mean? And then there's one scene where he's talking about what he wishes were true, which are just he'd upset they aren't. Like, you know, he says stuff like, that there's a meaning that God has a plan for us that we're protected. And then one of the things he says that for me seems to outline the most out of it is that age is nothing but a number. And I mean, that's, you know, horrible comparison, but like that's literally an R. Kelly song that he wrote for one of the people he groomed, you know? And I'm saying, no, it's not just using, but that's, that's a context you tend to hear it. 
And so to me, there's this whole, you know, look, I feel the implication is maybe that like the old man and Jesse Plummer's characters are separate people. But what I think is, is that he knows, really he knows it. Really he knows he's an old man. It's this old man who sort of looks for kind of lonely girls and sort of constantly does this. And But whenever he's dating them, he kind of projects this idea of them as his, his muse. Like if he's in poetry, they're a poet. If he's reading, if he have to go by science class. You know? And I think that's the sort of thing they sort if it's a, a girl he knows does science and he bumped, and he bumped into that and then groomed her from that, it's sort of like, Maybe he justifies it by like, but she's a physicist, she's a genius. So clearly, if he's smart enough to do that, you know, she can consent to this. And I think that's what is this what we're seeing is his flimsy construction of that. And I think there's even a scene where a character says there is no such thing as objective reality. And I'm not saying that as a justification, there are things even within that that are wrong. But you know, I do believe that the only reality we have a meaningful relationship to is the subjective reality which we experience. Everything's affected. By our subjective experience so I am a believer in subjective reality and I think what I love about Kaufman is he takes quite ideas that I think are generally said as an uplifting thing and he makes them disturbing like Synecdoche of New York is about an author who dedicates his life to his art and his life and basically his art affects his life and usually that would be like a beautiful story of like artists control reality if their art's so great but it's a very disturbed that's a very upsetting film about a man who wastes his life and does nothing right and I genuinely find subjective reality a beautiful idea and an idea that gives me hope and stuff. But I remember the first time I was watching this film, I got unbelievably unsettled because what I realised is if this reality is subjective, monsters, that's the point of the film. Like, she has lost her individuality. She has lost her reality to this manipulator. And I think that's also why so much of the film talks about art. It talks about how art done by men is done that. Like, of course, there's the baby it's cold at night you know cold at night kind of scene where she's like you're going to quote a rape song to me oh yeah yeah and i'll go on to one final thing and then i'll let you go into your point because i've been blabbering but of course there's one can't scene do anything other than blabber with this film true true there's one scene where it just edits and it feels out of nowhere but i feel it makes so much more sense watching from the second time the janitor's watching kind of a a rom-com kind of film that is the most typical rom-com because like this girl, this guy basically so harassing girl that, like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's literally like the music is playing so much, having to every emotion. This guy's like, she's an artist, she's an animal rights lawyer, and you yeah. don't appreciate and that gets her to get fired. But then the end is like, you idiot, I love you. And then of course that's the girl who she turns into one scene from. And I guess I find the idea that art affects reality, and I find the idea of subjective reality quite beautiful to some extent but like yeah the more you, i guess it's disturbing because it means if that's true that's the thing it takes a very human theme of maybe someone stealing your identity or manipulating you that unfortunately i think so many people in this world can relate to and it explains it beyond an even more level beyond a metaphysical and philosophical level and it makes it more relatable and i think that's a big part of it you know i, I, I know i'm penis but i just can't get over it you know that's that's so get me like that's what's so got me it's about a groomer who because reality is subjective takes control of these women's reality that's partly what i think it's about and also i think it's implied it's happened several times because when she finally froze when the ice cream is finally thrown away there's just a bin full of like hundreds of them which yeah. i think some people think it's an infinite loop but to me i think charlie kaufman writes a lot about men who don't really understand women and see them sort of as templates for something else. I think that's definitely uh, 
Philip Seymour Hoffman's character's effect in New York. It's even kind of Charlie Kaufman in the film adaptation when the yeah. comes to face child. And I know it didn't end up being, but I think there were delete scenes in Eternal Sunshine that even made Joel that. So I think a lot of people think like, oh, it's an infinite loop. But to me, the real scary thing is more like it's a it's a problem happening to so many people. That's almost the film of showing all of that. It's like it's something an individual's focus focusing that this person is doing. It's a representation, I guess, for societal issues, in my opinion. Um, I'll stop there for now. Take a breath. <laughs> yes. It's, I'm really glad that you've said all that. Um, and it's really, really convincing because my interpretation of it is completely different. And that is what I love about the film. Um, before I came on to record, I was reading other people's interpretations of it. And there were some slightly similar to mine. There were some slightly similar to yours. There were others that I'd never heard of and would never think of ever. So it's, it's great. I've got some notes. This I don't usually make notes on a film, but this one needs it. Um, so my the way I interpret this film is it requires you to do two things. One of them is accept that the main character of this film is not Jesse Buckley's character, but it is Jesse Jake. Buckley. What? You said Jesse Buckley. Yeah. It isn't Jesse Buckley, is it? After a look at that now. Sorry, is that sorry, is that the um female character? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought that they're both called Jesse. Yeah, they're both called Jesse. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's that Jesse. Jesse Buckley's character, the woman, is not the main character of this film. This film is all about Jake. Um, and the second thing you have to accept for a fact is that the janitor and Jake are the same person. Now, I see this film as a film about the janitor who he's, he's grown old. He's been he's had an awful, awful life. And I've got I've got some stuff to back it up. But I feel like I should get it all out first. And it's about him escaping to his mind as he's growing older and nearing his death which we see at the end he's reinventing his life for himself in a way that he would have liked to have lived it yes jake is a character who is fearing death and he's fearing growing old um he says this in multiple different ways to the woman um such as It seems hopeless, uh, he says, uh, feeling old, your body is going, your hearing is going, your sight, you can't see, you're invisible, you've made so many wrong turns, which he says in the car, believe on the way to Tulsi Town, and where he is told, you don't have to go forward in time, you can stay here, by a woman who looks awfully like somebody who he passed as the janitor, in the school i think he's created this reality for himself as a dying man and he is he's seeing everything as he once did such as his house and his parents but because he is so old and because his brain is this it's not 
working very well anymore. It can't decide on all of these details. So he has brought a woman home. He can't remember when that is. So his parents are constantly changing ages. He can't remember whether he has a dog or not. And suddenly the dog appears in some scenes and suddenly it disappears in others. It's not there. And the woman is a representation of his subconscious, which is why we get the voiceover. And it's constantly unsure of itself. There's a point where, it, where the woman says, when, when um, Jake calls her Ames, Ames, is that short for Amy? That doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound like my name. And there's so many, there's so many moments of doubt, like the repetition of I'm thinking of ending things. It's that subconscious not knowing where it's going. It's the subconscious not knowing what it's doing and thinking, is this really the right thing? Moving on. Um, what was that, James? I feel like a question now. Sorry, I just didn't want to end. If it's her subconscious, how does it know to talk about all the harassment that women face? This is, this is where everything changes. The third thing you have to accept about the film is when the woman enters the school, that reality stops existing. The woman who enters the school is a completely different entity to the one who is trapped in the car. Like the pig at the end, the woman that the janitor actually interacts with is a hallucination of an event from the past. There's the moment in the farm where... Sorry, could you repeat that again? Uh, uh, what was... What sorry, about the entity when it enters the school? Yeah, the, end, the, the woman, when she enters the school, is a completely different woman to when she enters or when she's stuck in the car. The reality that the janitor had created for himself to live in or for his mind to exist in to make itself happy was that stopped existing at that point. And the janitor sees the woman like he sees the pig because the pig was an event that really got to him in his past, it, which happened at the farm, which he explains with the maggots and everything. And I'll get onto that a bit later. But I believe that the woman then is like the pig, a hallucination. Um, and she explains how Jake or she, at that point, does not know who Jake is. She doesn't know who he is, what he looks like. I believe I have the quote. Um, yes, she says, it's, it's like you've asked me to describe a mosquito that bit me 40 years ago. And she says that she was there with her girlfriend celebrating the anniversary um, at the restaurant, sorry, where Jake kept looking at her. Um, and describes him as a nuisance. And Jake has obviously, or in my opinion, obviously fallen in love with the image of this woman. And in his reality, which he has created for himself, he can't remember exactly which woman he was bringing home to meet his parents, but he would like to think that he was bringing home this one. So could you say to a certain extent, the reason the pig, the reason, the few hallucinations in the story that remain solid is the pig because yeah. it's built and a young girl because they're both built on strong personal memories that also long-term psychologically affected them 
Like they remember the pig because it's an upsetting image to see, but they also remember it because it's probably, you know, life isn't always good on the farm. That's probably a time in which they remembered that. Um, that's probably a time in which the first time they realised life isn't always good, nature isn't always beautiful, it doesn't always end up. Well, the girl is a, is a general reflection of all the women he's been obsessed with, but also in his dying age, probably his subconscious being angry about so much of it, it also reflects at the time when a woman rejected him and forced him to really think how he treated women. Yeah. I like that to a certain extent. Could I say one criticism of it? Please do. I feel the social commentary kind of becomes weaker then. If throughout the entire film, we're seeing what women have to deal with from the perspective of a man, if all his life is kind of, if your interpretation is right, is probably treated women quite shitty or like quite, you know, indisposable. And I get to a certain point, maybe the message is still there, but to me, it just feels less if that's true, you know? Yeah, I, I think I, my interpretation, I see more, I do see that point about it being about what women have to go through, but I also see it as a film about the fact that society has its cast-offs. Um, as it's what? Sorry. As its cast-offs, and it's, it's outlaws. Not outlaws, that makes them sound like Robin Hood. It's got its, its the ones that it pushes to the side and would like to forget about, because the pig who begins to talk um, says... Uh, it's a cartoon version towards the final few moments of the film. Yeah, uh, it says there has to be. Oh, what was the quote? I didn't write this one down, but it said it. There's something about there has to be a pig that he gets. He, I've got to find the quote. I've got to find the quote now. Has to be someone. When you look at it, it's only like if you look at it close enough, we're all connected. So might there as well is be one like that. Um, da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. While you're looking for it, I'll try and fit another review in. <laughs> Nearly found it. I wrote it in my review. Um, someone has to be the pig infested with the maggots. See it. Um, and that to me was the pig. I'm not going to say the pig was representative of anything other than his mind, but it's almost as if he was telling himself it was, it had to be you. You had to have this awful, awful life because someone, well, someone's got to do it. And so he's been, he sees himself as this horrible, disgusting being that is destined to fail, which is how I, or that's what I take from the dance sequence in which these two characters very happily meet, they get married, they work well together. And then this janitor comes on and kills the youthful image of a person. Completely indifferent interpretation. Okay. Can I go into it? Please do. But first I must rebuttal something you said you i you know you said like the three things you must accept for your interpretations number one is uh jesse plemos's character is the main character yeah i do not agree with that at all 
Okay. To me, what makes the film uh, what makes the film so good is that um, well, um, what I like about the film is I do think it's about Jesse Buckley's character and what she has to face. And to me, I find it more engaging from that perspective. And now I guess you can make the criticism like, and I guess, you know, I'm saying this as a man, so maybe there's some of that lost, you know, I know I'm, many women have disagreed with my points on the podcast, fairly enough, you know. Um, but like, I guess you could also argue Charlie, Co- you know, I guess you could also argue the fact that Charlie Kaufman writes it means that it only is a male perspective, you know what I mean? And that it's based on a book written by a man. But to me, like, I find it less interesting if it was always from a man's perspective, you know what I mean? If it wasn't from a, because to me, like I said, the film being about subjective reality, to me, that's so much about then how we can, if subjective reality is true, we can lose ourselves and our identity to manipulative people. And that's what makes men who don't consider women. And that's what makes media that represents women as objects or something that determines men's pride if they don't have sex and so scary because then it tells, you know, it informs the entire population's ideologies of what they are and it can take away agency, you know? And to me, the point is for the most of the film, it, she is the main character. But the message of how subjective reality and sexism and media representation takes away people, and specifically in this case, women's freedom, autonomy and reality, is made all the more terrifying by the fact from the dance sequence onwards, that's what happens. The majority of the film is Jesse Buckley's film. The final, what, 10, 20 minutes is, uh, is Jesse Plemos's film. And that's what makes it scary. And also, so to me, what happens is the film has very obviously been hinting through kind of horror style type filmmaking, violence, sexual abuse, you know, manipulation, uh, grooming. But the point of this film is saying is it doesn't just start there. You go all the way back to musicals. What we see is some of the lightest entertainment. Even within that, there is strong sexism and iffiness in this and to me the point is implications in that scene she's gone that's the last we see of the real her not changed in some way to jenny jesse plemis's image jack's image you know and to me that's the final scene where all of her agency is lost and that's what's so upsetting about that scene and within the scene and to me the point is we've reached a point when we delve down enough into media and stuff we can get to a point where such violence to point to me is i'm saying Jack has manipulated his reality and manipulated her so much that go it down to its very core, it's violence, but it's abstract violence, which he's trying to be able to deny. Like in the dark sequence, I swear there's sort of one point where the, because then they were then replaced with conventionally attractive versions of them dancing and stuff. At one point when he's dancing, he sort of almost tries to pull her shirt off and it's sort of like she stops. So like there's abstract implications of assault in there. And then of course, when he dies and gets stabbed, he's just, throwing the um, red kind of blood out. And to me, that's what's scary. We've delved so deep into this weird subjective reality that Kaufman's created that violence has become completely abstract. And then of course, the final moment of that is Jesse, Jack's character, um, getting a Nobel, a Nobel Prize award while then doing a song from, I believe, Oklahoma, yeah. or at least a set of Oklahoma. And that's the thing. And then of course, this, throughout the film, we never see her image manipulated, except at the end. You know what I mean? Everyone in that scene looks old, but it's like school theatre production of like a few lines and stuff like that. 
And one thing, I'll just go back to this, you know, my whole like grooming interpretation that this is about a man that grew. To me, that's what adds to it so much because to me, he's the only one who looks convincingly old in that scene. And then when you see all the women that he's, because I also think the three women at the uh, ice cream place are um, also women he's groomed. In that scene, the only thing, obviously there's a parent, so that doesn't quite fit into the adaptation, but I think it still works. The only thing that makes them old is like really shitty makeup. And to me, in those final moments, that's the narrative he's used to justify abuse breaking. But also partly in the film, beginning of the film, she mentions how she doesn't like musicals. And then he goes on about how much she loves musicals, specifically Oklahoma. And to me, that's what's scary. He controls her final moment. This narrative was her narrative and he takes it over. And then it becomes about him. And no more is that done by the fact that the final scene is essentially a musical scene. Acted very well, in my opinion, you know, just how he breaks his voice and stuff like that. And now I think you could come into the argument that, okay, there's a point to it, but at the end of the day, if you try to criticise men making women's narratives about them, and then that just becomes the final few moments of the scene, are you just doing that, no matter the intent? And I think there's a discussion for that, but I at least think there's, it's an interesting attempt, and I think there's an interesting attempt, and I personally like it from my fairly privileged perspective, but yeah, um, whew. <laughs> Back to you, Jay. Oof. I don't know how to follow that. Um, it's it's well, yeah. I don't know what to say. It's it's such a great experience to to have a film with such differing perspectives, and I'm loving that. Because the you know, other one, Mulholland Drive, everyone everyone has a fairly alright or fairly unanimous uh, agreement that it's about this thing, but the way that they get there is different. But this is, I wish there were more people here almost, um, although the episode would be three times as long. Um, we'll make our director's cut one day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, mean, you can interpret that in entirely different ways. I'm I'm interested. I'm interested to know what you or how you interpret the the characters in the Robert Zemeckis film. How you um, link that, like that moment where she changes. I think that's the point. That's the point of how he's. That's adding to the point of like how media creates this idea of what people are, and that affects once again the point of subjective reality is an idea that sort of people use as sort of an uplifting thing. I think part of the scene, beyond even the metaphorical, I think a base level result I got that was like almost made my stomach turn because it made me realize what's so scary about subjective reality, which is we to then at some extent are at the whims of other people and we can be manipulated to a point where we lose ourselves and to me I think that's partly that's what Jack had did, done to her and I think also it's once another point about how media affects how people see other groups and how they think it's normal to act and I think nowhere is that more clear than the rom-com you know I think partly I think partly Charlie Kaufman just wanted to take a bit of piss out of rom-coms because I don't know I, he seems like someone that's maybe a bit annoyed about traditional films and gets a bit irritated in them and I feel like to me that was such a piss take of that so maybe there was some humour in that but I think that's so much just trying to say like what society teaches men to do and it points 
I think it's a it's a scene that once we understand the decent possibility of the interpretation that Jack and the janitor are the same person, it's meant to be a window into Jack's psyche of like, this is what he kind of thinks he is. You know, he's, as he even says, yeah, I guess I watch too much movies. And of course there's that scene where she says like, very early to film, probably first few 10 minutes, like she's a uh, young woman says, um, even bad films want to live, they infect your mind like a virus and stuff. And that's the point there, you know, like, I think it's just trying to make so many points about how media affects real life. And I think that's partly just added in with the fact that like Jack references stuff like baby, it's cold outside, which uh, Jesse Buckley's character calls a rape song. And just the fact that it's so much about harassment, I think it's like, that's the point, you know, and this is how so many, I guess, men maybe see women when media only portrays them as an object to be one. And that's also partly the point. Once again, I think it's so much about, this character's narrative that he's created to justify his abuse finally cracking, you know? But maybe within that, there's a few pushes to really like, it's still strong in a lot of senses, but you know, maybe like her looking like that for it. And I'm literally coming up with this right now. Maybe that scene of her looking like the actor, he's like maybe his subconscious or just his actual conscious, one final massive attempt to like, I don't want to acknowledge what I've done. Let's push this back where I'm nowhere near reality again. You know, she's a movie star. She's the girl from my movies, not most likely an underage woman. I, again, it's great to see another perspective of that because I saw that as something completely different. Um, I saw more of that tying into the whole dying mind, creating a reality as hard as it could um, and failing with it introduces the character Yvonne, who, who is the one who worked at the burger bar. Um, and we see the janitor watching that. And moments, well, not moments, but in the next scene, um, the young woman receives a call from Yvonne. And I, I saw those calls sort of as another persona um, or another personality, another image another person i can't decide on the right word for it but another well let's go with person tate or attempting to take the place through the subconscious like he has he's built this image of jesse buckley's character um, and it's it's not very stable which is why the name keeps changing and which is why the story about how their neck keeps changing and after the janitor has seen this film he or him in his in his uh, reality tells his parents that he met the young woman in a burger restaurant just like Yvonne and to me that's where it starts to bleed in and where this reality starts to connect to this inner inner workings of the mind and that's why later on Yvonne actually appears in the place of the young woman and it's this unstable it's this unstable person trying to get a grip on where they actually are what they're actually doing who they're doing it with it's very interesting can I ask something would you have wanted the film to explain what's going on like oh, no, no way definitely that's I part think... of the fun of it 
Yeah, like to me, at least with some of the time loop stuff, I don't necessarily need a specific explanation because it's like, you know, like a unit in like a diegetic, this is why it's happening. I heard apparently the book had it in there. And I think Charlie Kaufman, you know, Charlie Kaufman, right, said in an interview, like, to me, the how didn't really matter. You know, it's more about what it means within the story, which I, I totally agree with, you know, some, which I think also in, I do think the film in some ways isn't very subtle. There is some real stuff they really reiterate and spell out. But I guess that works because I like, I feel it works on very levels. You know, you can just appreciate this weird feeling film. You can appreciate because even if you don't get the meaning of every film, it's trying to talk some real like kind of social ills that maybe a lot of people can relate to or understand why it's important to care about this. Uh, it has some real like obvious kind of stuff. So maybe if they're um, not, you know, not sound mean because like film literacy just means if you're good at film literature, it doesn't really say anything about you. But I had a mate who even admits like she just needs lines explained as much as possible. She's like, you know, like I'm like, I really feel I was like, I really feel they didn't need to reiterate. It's like, wait, what? I didn't even pick that up when they reiterated it like twice. So, you know, so like it has some real. Re so maybe if you. You know, maybe this is your first interpretive film you saw. I feel like there's tons of layers in the interpretation as well. And like, there's a lot of repetition and stuff like that. And then they make some of the repetition obvious. So maybe if you haven't done seen tons of films and you're a bit more of a casual film watcher, you can see like, oh my God, that and that. So I feel like, do you get what I mean? Like you can get them to a very general, simple interpretation, like they're the same person. Because I feel like, kind of similar to The Lighthouse, I think in a post, um, and spoilers for a film that came out in 1999, it's kind of in a post fight club, you know, kind of world. You can't really, you can't really have subtle hints that they were the same person thing uh, without, without exploring that idea also as a possibility of adding on to it. You know what I mean? Like, I think a good yeah. example is The Lighthouse is like very early into that film, like about maybe not super early, maybe like 30 minutes to halfway through, like, you know, William Defoe's character, like, ah, maybe we're the same person to kind of mock him. Yeah. And I think that's important because that's a fun interpretation, but it allows the room. You know what I mean? I think we live in terms of a post-flight club world. You can't just have that idea there. So there's the fun, more kind of basic interpretations. That I feel like, you know, not uh, people who real overanalyze or write essays about people not that dedicated could still get that. But then for us, you know, pretentious people, we can really overanalyze it. I think that's a, real element I appreciate and I I hope the film never explains it, you know? It really uh, shocked me that this was released on Netflix. I remember watching it. Really? It came we're actually recording this um a year to the week that it came out. Um no way. Yeah. Um I watched it three days after the one year anniversary and I was like, damn I should have watched it on the day but um yeah, I remember last year sitting on the sofa after it finished thinking, I cannot believe Netflix bought that of all people because it, it just doesn't. And I, this, this is going to sound like me having a real stab at Netflix viewers, but I see Netflix as it's the comfort film platform. It's not BFI player where you go looking for all of these highbrow, I'm going to have a really good time and also get loads of intellectual messages from it and it's not movie where you go and see specially curated stuff it's so i was really shocked i was really happy because i believe this film should be seen by as many people as possible but as you say i i, I think the 
a lot of people will watch it expecting one thing and they won't get that from it and just write it off as not a very good film. I, I think so. I, I feel like there's intellectual material in a lot of stuff, you know, and I think even like maybe lesser, maybe more common binge watch kind of art is quite, um, I don't know, I, I've watched a decent amount of Netflix originals. I think they make a fair few good things. Um, oh, yeah, the, well, the stuff the stuff that they really push, um, there has been some really good Netflix originals. Um, this one's been. Amazing. I think the TV's better, you know, the Medical Souls and Blood. Yeah, Park I think they are. Nineties. I'm pretty sure they. Um... It's interesting because I feel like we, after a bit of a ramble, I'm like, oh, what have I got left to say? But like, there will definitely be so much to say, but we've got to kind of. There is so much, and I, I do think. <laughs> Very big lightning strike just hit very near by. Um, but on, on the note of this film, I think we, if we had the time, we could we could analyse this scene by scene. And I'd love to do that because that would be great fun. But this is the Sound of Vision podcast. Um, you are a listener who probably doesn't want to be doing a 24-hour I'm thinking of ending things marathon. Otherwise, you might actually start thinking of ending things. Um, but I, I had one final thing that I wanted to go over with you because... Oh, can I ask a quick question first? Do it, yeah. Sorry, because I'm just thinking... Um, I just thought this might be like... Where would you say this rates up with Charlie Kaufman's other filmography, both in terms of directing and uh, in terms of his writing? I mean, obviously, it doesn't beat Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. <laughs> well, from what I've seen, which I've seen all of his directorial stuff, and I've seen the big ones of his scripts, I think this oh, it's definitely my second favourite Kaufman film because it won't be Eternal Sunshine. But I think I prefer the script for this film. That's yeah. Uh, he made the leap from directing so impressively. Oh, massively. And the whole story, do you know the story about how he got to direct Synecdoche? No, just to me, I feel like screenwriter and then they make a director. It feels like they're maybe, but like the sin, and I know it's not just him. I know it's not just him. Obviously, other people were doing it, but like, obviously, for the cinematography, the cinematographer deserves the most credit. For the acting, the actor deserves the most credit. But obviously, art is such a communicated thing. And if a director doesn't understand how to communicate or work with this group, and the fact that he seems to know how to work with it so well, then all three of his films, he has such great cinematography and performances and this essence, you know, like, which once again should be praised to all the other amazing people that will work from this film. But the fact that he knows that, you know? Yeah. Uh, sorry for that. I just, but you were saying how he got into directing? Yeah. Um, Spike Jones director of her of adaptation of being john malkovich where the wild things are he was originally supposed to be directing snakes key new york but last minute he dropped out because he wanted to follow this project that became where the wild things are because he loved that story with a passion and wanted to adapt that that was i think that was one of his big dreams so he took that um, and Snitsky was left with no director and I believe it was the studio who sort of said we don't really we don't really have anyone to do this 
Mr. Kaufman, why don't you give it a try? And so he did. Oh, really? Yeah. That's and is that what got him the inspiration then doing Normalisa and uh... I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Which um, Anomalisa is <laughs> a film. Do you not like it? I, I do like it, but I can't get over the puppet sex. I do like it. Me neither. And I think it's a, it's a good film, but it's one of those ones that I think I do need to rewatch to really get. You know, they had to make, well, you, they had to make a unique type of fabric for the puppet sex. I remember hearing on an interview. Of course they did. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> anyway. It's art, okay? <laughs> for the... For my, my final question to you, because my my interpretation, I or I can see how my interpretation incorporates the final image of the film, and I wanted to know how you fit in that the blue that fades in and then reveals this snow covered car. When a part is when about is this in the film? This is the very end, the final thing that happens. Huh. You mean the final scene of just sort of like you just see the car there and then you hear it night at the end and stuff? Yeah, but it fades from a, or the um, the transition from the performance to that image is this blue colour. It's, oh, it's still... I feel... I don't know what the blue has... I can't interpret the blue necessarily. Uh, besides maybe Charlie Cotton was feeling a bit down that day. Um, it was feeling real high ground. Yeah, no, I think to me, the way I would see, it, and I think this fits in with your interpretation, is like the scene of when he's singing that song at the weird Nobel Prize high school sort of halluc probably hallucination thing. It's like, I think that's the moment when, whatever, in my interpretation, this hallucination of him being an older man justifying what he's done finally shatters. And what we're seeing there is whatever remains of... Re this is like whatever really happened after the hallucination shattered. So we know to some extent maybe he did drive here or something. You know what I mean? This is like... Because I think we've always been seeing some of reality, but it's always been fogged by this construction. And I think that final scene, as it's just a still shot, is sort of that. You know what I mean? And maybe the ignition is maybe the worrying question of what happens now. You know what I mean? And I think that maybe even fits in with your interpretation, isn't it? Because I guess you could say that's also what happens when it's, maybe he finally dies, or at least he fi maybe finally realises he's sick, or maybe once he finally completely gives in to the illusion. I, I also think maybe it also just existed because, like, he wanted you to emotionally stay there. You know, he wanted you to... It could also be emotional reasons. I guess that's the problem, isn't it? Like, you know, kind of a lot of scenes in film will exist for different reasons. And once we look at interpretation of the meaning, which we find, every scene is not necessarily going to point there because a director might have had different beyond the main thing. I think maybe it's more an emotion thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, it's, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of the Coffin films I've seen, I've seen them like the right time for me. Because I remember at one point, Adaptation was one of my favourite films of all times uh i think it was one of the first i think kaufman like at least it's had... not scott pilgrim versus the world hey james yeah yeah mm. or django unchained fucking hell was such a <laughs> i know it was i'm sorry um but like i think it's interesting because i feel like adaptation like when i saw that i was like it's really breaking cinematic convention because this is one of the first times i was considering what art can be 
And that was one of the first films I made that really impacted me outside of the films I saw when I was like five and six. Um, you know? And like yeah. I, when I was like 12, 13, I think what's interesting is like as I watched that, like I really appreciate for what it was when I saw it, but I saw it as so much more of a deconstruction than it actually is, which isn't necessary, Chris, because I guess the big point of when I was pretentious, like I realized like this is about re- being a true artist. Then when I got less pretentious, I was like, wow, this is about the point of being a real artist as a made up term and just made art, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I just really wanted to talk about Coffins and work because I quite really love it, you know? Um, mm. Eternal Sunshine was actually, uh, Eternal Sunshine is actually my sister's favorite film or was. And basically before my first day of college, really towards the end of the summer before I started college and she was leaving for uni, we all watched it and that was just like that was a I guess a bonding thing because you know that's her favorite film I really enjoy it yeah uh I remember like actually at one point just doing a scene I just kind of sat back and relaxed and like I literally just had a feeling of everything's going to be all right yeah you know Kaufman's films have often hit me in important moments and I I think Eternal Sunshine is so well made it's a very interesting it's not necessarily the most original idea but he does a lot of unique stuff with it and ideas and I think the directing is really well and the changes are really well which is more rare whatever his name is another guy Michelle uh, Gondry Michelle Gondry and I think all of that um I mean so next I think when I saw Think of Anything so that was when I was first really starting to kind of delve more into real deep analysis of film you know so I guess that's when I saw it and I guess the weird part is like I kind of love all his films, but maybe not in the same way I love other directors. It's, I think your opinions about it is always changing. And I think his films are phenomenal, but then I'm always like, are they 10 out of 10? And then some, I always have those moments where I question how great is he, you know, and stuff like that. And, but what I'm saying is it's kind of always shifting, but I guess I've always kind of enjoyed his art. And I think he's an interesting filmmaker and he's developed and stuff, you know, and I, I think I always can appreciate the talent of him. Uh, I'm sorry that that was a bit, of a tangent i just i don't know it's that fun really, to talk about well really could go away from my last question but i don't mind sorry what was your last question <laughs> my last question was asking you how the final image of the film fits in with your interpretation oh i, I did answer that you did i answer did answer that, that. Yes, but it, you it can't let the record show can it i drifted um, to, a, to a good place could i do one final interpretation go on Okay, so we must start with the philosophical field of study known as phenomenology, which is the understanding that to understand our consciousness is to understand the consciousness of another. That fits very much within uh, the film. It's very much about how our identity is connected with someone else and how our reality is based on our relations to other people, which is sort of similar to subject reality, slightly different. And I think the film copies that with the fact that the first one of the first scenes you see is that famous film screen test where you see an image of a man with quite a plain face but then you see food but then you see a hot you know then go back to face then you see a hot woman well you know the idea of the time that that was how a film teacher described it i'm just remembering the lesson then you see a woman in a, a girl in a casket you know dead and the idea is the image we see next will you know retroactively create how we interpret the first image and I think it's like I don't I think Charlie Kaufman mentioned he didn't really read any philosophy doesn't really read any philosophy but he is intentionally or not building on quite these philosophical ideas and I think it's this sense of like to know oneself you must know others like I truly believe like I at least for me I guess I can't really talk from my own experience but I believe I, I only understand myself 
because I know other people, because I interact with other people, because I've experienced the experience of other people. Like I, you know, I think we are understood in relation to other people. I think that's what humans are. I think that's just what any existing thing is, you know? Um, and I think that's what the film's talking about. And to me, that's why when you say the second thing, which you must, uh, which you must agree for your interpretation of work, which is that the janitor is Jack, I disagree. Because in the scene, when it says we're all connected, it doesn't mean it in a fight club, Tyler Durden, I'm you way. It's like, if we analyze anything, we're all only the same being because we only understand each other in relation to others. It's like Grant Morrison said, if we looked at the universe from a fourth dimensional perspective, we'd all be one entity experiencing all of life at once. Yeah. All day. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I... The pig says, you, me, everything. We're all one thing. Yeah, and I don't think it's meant that in the sense of like, you know, it's one body and it's got multiple personalities. I think it more means metaphysically, we're all sort of one entity, you know? A society, a hive. We, we live in a society, man. It's like the Joker. We can't, we can't end on that. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't. Um, give us one of your amazing interpretations, Jay. End it with your... Well, I'll end it on my interpretation of the final image, um, sure. which I, I saw it as a very Kaufman-esque... Um, nothing matters because the snow has covered up whatever has happened in the last two and a quarter hours it's covered up the car it's covered up the school to some extent it's covered the tree everything is covered in this snow and the only thing we can see of this car is this bump it might we don't know for a fact that it's under there there's only a mere suggestion that it's ever happened in the first place and that this life has ever happened in the first place. And the final image of being left with that, I think is what's so powerful. It's, it presents you with this story of how I see it, a man who doesn't feel he fits in the world, a man who despises his own existence so much that he has to invent someone new to exist happily in his final hours. And then washes that all away and says, does that matter? We don't know how many broken, um, we don't know how many troubled or abused people there are. So many of them will be lost because of uh, what yeah. we society, what we, what we uh, told people to expect from society. Maybe that's part of the idea, you know? Yeah. Um, once we create a society that creates so many Robert Zemeckis S rom-coms, um, and becomes justified to such an extent that so many people will live not realizing they were mistreated or abused or they'll never confess to it and that will be lost which yeah i feel the film is such a personal film that if they're using the snow to say that i see that's a very interesting interpretation i would personally i guess maybe this is just me but any art or work that has the message of like oh it doesn't matter because it will be over i just like that still happened, that still exists, you know, that pain was still created, but it's definitely an interesting... Oh, yeah, yeah, it still happened, but it's... There's not much evidence of it anymore. The, it all happened in his mind, and so that mind's dead now, because we only have the suggestion that it never happened. Yeah. <sighs> what a lovely way to end the episode. <laughs>
definitely. Yeah, so thank you very much for talking for this long. I think we've got a, a mammoth episode uh, this time. Um, next time, I believe Arthur is going to be hosting and we are going to be looking at one car wise in the mood for love and um, so see you for that one goodbye um yeah bye This episode of the Sound Vision Podcast was edited by Grace Smith.